0: Hello America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, We're over the last 48 hours, we've had some major developments on the investigation of the investigators in the Russia collusion case, and of course, uh, a dramatic hearing yesterday on Capitol Hill with the brother of George Floyd and the sister of a slain police officer, the debate over racial justice and relations between America's police departments and their communities. Rages on, and we've got a very important guest who can weigh in on both of those. Congressman Greg Stubbe of Florida, Republican member of the House Judiciary Committee. He was present for yesterday's hearing. He was a major figure early on in going after the Russia collusion false narrative and trying to force out the truth about it. He joins us to talk about his perspective. He's got an amazing background. He's a lawyer, a former Army JAG. He served in Iraq, and he comes from a family full of Law enforcement, including his father, who is a sheriff, and his brother, who's a SWAT team member. So he brings a law enforcement perspective, a military man's perspective, a JAG lawyer's perspective to all these issues. You're not going to want to miss that interview. He's got a very important warning about the Second Amendment and what Democrats might be doing in the legislation uh, surrounding George Floyd's death. There may be a backdoor attack on the Second Amendment, he says. Uh, He's also concerned about the defunding and disarming of police departments, which he thinks will ultimately deserve the communities that they protect. So we're going to have a big interview with him. But uh, first, when we come back from the commercial break, after our great advertisers and sponsors talk to us, we're going to have a conversation about three, three very important developments in the investigation of the investigators. You're not going to want to miss these revelations and possibly some breaking news in the next 24 hours. We'll be right back. After the commercial break. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And before we get started on some investigation of the investigators' developments, uh, I got to admit, I never in a million years thought I'd ever, ever talk in public about underwear choices. But I got to tell you, I recently picked up a pack of UFM underwear. For men, these are amazing. They're life-changing. I go exercising every day. I go up to the cabin on weekends and do a lot of heavy yard work, cutting up trees and uh, moving dirt and uh, building out my cabin. And these underwear, the UFM underwear, are unlike anything I've ever worn. Uh, they've got a drawstring. They have a, a support in all the right places. And it's been life-changing for me. And so I just want to make a mention, they've been kind enough to make a special offer for Just the News and John Solomon Reports guests. This Father's Day, they're giving 30% off your order if you buy UFM underwear for men. Uh, All you have to do is when you get to the checkout cart, put in the promo code JUSTNEWS, no space, JUSTNEWS without the space, um, and you you put that in the review your car pop-up box, and you'll get unbelievable discounts, 30% off. It's a great gift for Dad, a great gift for yourself this Father's Day. Uh, so go to ufmmensunderwear.com right now. Take advantage of the very special offer that they gave us for Father's Day for Just the News and John Solomon Reports fans. I'm so grateful, and i got to tell you, I'm never going to wear another underwear lo- except this for the rest of my life. Great, great uh, product. All right, enough uh, with um, underwear. On to, guess what, Russia, the investigation of the investigators. Three very, very important developments that I want to uh Talk to you about all have broken since we last talk on Tuesday. First, House Republicans led by Devin Nunez are putting the finishing touches, final touches on as many as 10 new criminal referrals. This will be the first time in about a year or two that Republicans have sent the Justice Department new criminal referrals, but 10 of them, they're all based on the new evidence that's been declassified in the last few weeks uh, by uh, Attorney General Barr, by Rick Grinnell, the Temporary DNI by John Radcliffe, the new DNI. Lots of new evidence that calls into question the prior testimony of key figures in the case that um, highlights even greater, more grievous uh, efforts to hide and deceive uh, the FISA court, hide evidence and deceive the FISA court, an intentional effort to deceive the FISA court. Uh, and so these uh, referrals are going to be made very soon. It could be end of this week, early next week. What are they going to focus on? They're going to focus on false testimony. Here's a new part. They're going to focus on illegal leaking of classified information, new evidence on that, that the lawmakers want to bring to the attention. And then they're going to focus on misconduct in two parts of the Russian investigation, the part involving the FISA with uh, Carter Page, and the other part involving the Mike Flynn case, where we have learned so much in the last 60 days that were kept from us uh, for the first two years of the Flynn investigation. Uh, So keep an eye on that. Some big criminal referrals coming ahead. A new narrative. I think these referrals will be more than just identifying the people and the alleged crimes. It will tell a story of how the FBI used deception, violated its own rules, used leaking to sustain the narrative of Russia collusion and an investigation in the absence of any supporting evidence. And when I say in the absence of supporting evidence, I mean it. We now know that all they had was uncorroborated, disproven Russian disinformation. That's what they had. Nothing. And what they also had was a lot of exculpatory information which they hid from the court because if the court knew about it, they would have sent the case packing before Donald Trump was even elected. So, very important development. Criminal referrals from House Republicans. Hang your hat on that. It's coming soon. Uh, We'll be bringing it to you live at justthenews.com and we'll follow up on John Solomon reports as we get a chance to dig into those. The second Uh, development to watch for. is a story I broke overnight. It's sitting live on justthenews.com right now. Uh, And that is that there are a set of notes and an exchange of emails in early summer 2016. The exact dates are July 13th and August 2nd, 2016. That's three months before the FISA warrant was first submitted to the uh, FISA court to target Carter Page and the Trump campaign. And those notes... Those emails show unequivocally that FBI agents, including Peter Strzok, knew from the very first interactions with Christopher Steele that the Steele dossier was somehow connected to Hillary Clinton and the Democratic National Committee. That's something they never told the court. Not, not the first visa, second, third, or fourth visa. Uh, they made some uh, cryptic references that Steele might be working for a person that had a political interest. But they knew right out of the chute in July, right after his July 5th, 2016 interview, when Steele walks into London FBI, goes meets his old handler, an agent named Gaeta, that uh, they knew from that conversation forward that Christopher Steele's uh, dossier had a political origin to it. And this is what we're hearing. On July 13th, 2016, uh, the agent who first processed and interviewed and handled Steele in London reaches out to a supervisor in the New York field office where there's an investigation of Carter Page going on, and tells uh, the supervisor, according to the notes taken by that supervisor, that the dossier is somehow connected to Hillary Clinton. Then on August 2nd, a separate field office, not New York, not London, but a separate field office reports that one of its former confidential informants, one of its undercover people, came forward to that office because they had had an interaction, apparently with Glenn Simpson. That's what it looks like. Um, And that Simpson had indicated he was working on a research project involving Donald Trump uh, on behalf of the Democratic National Committee. So Hillary Clinton mentioned on July 13th because of the original presentation from Christopher Steele. August 2nd, same thing. Now, this is consistent with Christopher Steele's recent testimony in London in in a lawsuit he said that he told the FBI right out of the chute about his connections to Hillary Clinton and, um, and uh, even had notes showing what he told the FBI. We're trying to get a hold of those notes. But uh, these new FBI documents were first flashed or first referenced in passing in the Inspector General's report, Michael Horowitz's report last December. But now the Senate has been had a hard time getting their hands on them. Christopher Ray's FBI, once again, thwarting transparency to Congress. So today, uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee is ramping up to get its subpoena power. Expect these documents to be one of the early documents that um, Senator Graham, the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, will seek to get as they uh, press forward with a wide range of subpoenas. Again, the great mystification of a lot of the Senate investigators and frontline people I talk to on every day, the senators themselves, they can't understand why Chris Ray simply won't cooperate and provide evidence without a fight over each and every document. Uh, that's a, a dynamic to keep an eye on. I think it's going to come to a head this summer because the uh, subpoenas are going to force the FBI to do something It's been trying to slow walk for a very long time. All right, finally, something that's not been slow walking lately, but moving at lightning speed, declassification. Boy, Rick Grinnell got the ball rolling, and it's now an avalanche. It's coming down the hill faster and faster every day. And my sources tell me that we are going to see in the next 24, 48 hours, hopefully as early as that, the release of a document known as the Annex to the Intelligence Community Assessment. This is the December 2016 product that the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, and all the intelligence community partners developed, giving their best assessment of what happened in the 2016 election with Russian meddling. And as we know, there was a clear conclusion, and pretty significant proof, I believe, that the Russians bought some Facebook ads and and did some hacking of Hillary Clinton, John Podesta, DNC emails. Uh, I don't think anyone in the Republican or Democrat side doubts that part of the assessment. But there's a second part of the assessment, which is more controversial, less widely accepted. Even in the intelligence community, some people didn't have as strong a belief in this. And that is that Russia's intention when it did the Facebook ads, when it did the meddling, when it did the hacking, was to defeat Hillary Clinton and help Donald Trump become president. Now, a lot of people dispute that. And the reason they do is that there's been new evidence that's been proffered, uh, brought to light because of the declassifications, particularly those by Rick Grinnell, that made clear that some of the information that Christopher Steele was getting was coming from Russian intelligence as disinformation designed to smear Donald Trump. And so... If you're going to claim in the intelligence assessment, Russia was trying to help Trump, but your own evidence shows they were feeding dirt to Hillary Clinton to smear Trump, even if it's false dirt, it's politically weaponized, it calls into the question that assessment. So there's been a lot of debate over the intelligence community assessment. We've seen a non-classified version of the overall findings uh, somewhat redacted. But the annex includes some of the good uh, and important underlying evidence about what Uh, the intelligence community was looking at when it made that assessment. I think there'll be several very important revelations if this document does become public, as my sources are telling me. The most important one, because it goes back again to that Steele dossier and just how much the FBI knew was wrong about it. What I'm being told is that there are references in the appendix that we should be looking for that suggest that the intelligence community as a whole, including the FBI, Knew that the dossier and its claims were unverified, uncorroborated, not proven as of December 2016. Why is that important? Because in October 2016, Pete Struck and the FBI and the Justice Department and the Comey and McCabe FBI swore to a court that the evidence that they had gleaned from uh, the Steele dossier had been verified. The actual submission, the FISA warrant, was actually marked verified. Well. You can't have it both ways. It can't be unverified in December and verified in October. And I think that this document will provide one of the largest and most compelling proof that there was unanimity in the intelligence community, that the Steele dossier at best was unverified and at worst Russian disinformation. And yet the FBI portrayed it to a court not once, not twice, not three times, but four times over the course of the year as being verified and reliable and coming from an informant that had no known derogatory information against him. None of that has turned out to be true. And it looks like, if this Intelligence Committee assessment is, as what people are telling it, it is, it will add perhaps the most damning proof to date that the FBI knowingly and willfully concealed the flaws, the weaknesses, the lack of corroboration for the Steele dossier, and, as we just talked about, With those new notes and emails that I mentioned that the Senate's trying to get their hands on, they also went out of their way to conceal the political origins of the dossier. If a court had known that what they were being asked to approve as a warrant, supporting evidence was neither corroborated and came from Donald Trump's uh, opponent's researcher, Hillary Clinton-funded Christopher Steele. I doubt that we would have seen the FISA or the Russia investigation develop the way it is. The lack of transparency, the lack of honesty, the extraordinary amount of intentional deceit. Remember, we have evidence that FBI agents falsified documents, withheld exculpatory information consciously. Uh, The level of what the FBI did is why we have a criminal investigation going on by John Durham, and why every day as you read more and more into Attorney General Barr's comments, you begin to get the idea that there may be a small number of indictments, a small number of criminal charges holding people accountable, in addition to more disciplinary action for those who still remain inside the Justice Department and the FBI from that fateful era of bad conduct of the FBI. So... A lot to look forward to, a lot to pay attention to. We're going to have a discussion about all that Russia evidence in a few minutes with Florida Congressman Greg Stubbe. He's a member of the House Judiciary Committee. He's a former Army JAG. He served in Iraq. He comes from a family of law enforcement. And uh, he has some really powerful perspectives to bring us all today on George Floyd, on police and community relations, on a backdoor threat to the Second Amendment, that he says Democrats are trying to slip into the George Floyd legislation. He's going to talk very passionately about his concerns about disarming and defunding local police. Uh, And, of course, we're going to talk about this Russia stuff with him because there's so much that the Judiciary Committee has already dug into that has Americans all across the country scratching their head. What was the FBI up to And why can't they follow their own laws and rules? So we're going to have that conversation in a second. But first, a commercial break from our great sponsors and advertisers. And then we'll be back with Congressman Greg Stubbe, Republican of Florida. You're not going to want to miss it. He's a House Judiciary Committee member with a lot of breaking news. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, Congressman Greg Stube from the great state of Florida, a Republican, a member of the House Judiciary Committee, who yesterday participated in those very powerful hearings about the death of George Floyd and how we're going to get relations between police and their communities back on track. Congressman, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
0: Oh, it's our pleasure. It's a great honor to have you on so you bring an amazing perspective to this whole debate over George Floyd and police relations and, and racial justice because you, you're you a lawyer, you served in the JAG, you served in Iraq with our army, uh, and you come from a long line of law enforcement in your own family, right? I think your dad was a sheriff?
1: Yeah, my dad was a sheriff in Manatee County, Florida, and uh, had served in the very same department for over 40 years. So he worked his way up as the lowest level deputy all the way to sheriff in the same department, which is pretty unheard of. Um, and then my brother is still at the same department, and both of them, my dad was the commander of the SWAT team, my brother was on SWAT for 10 years, uh, my
0: brother's now a supervisor on the road. That's amazing. Well, God bless him for their service, and you for, for the service you provided your country in the military. I, I come from a family of a uh, long line of cops, too, and my dad was a police chief, my brother's still a detective. And um, it's an amazing life to grow up in a, in a family of blue and understand the challenges and uh, amazing things that police officers do every day. You had um, a really powerful speech yesterday uh, 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 when you spoke on the, in the House Judiciary Committee. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what it was like to have Ms. Jacobs here, to have George Floyd's brother there, and to try to put this entire debate into the perspective that you did yesterday.
1: Well, I wanted to, in, to you know, at the outset of my comments to make sure that I recognize Mr. Floyd and Mrs. Jacobs for their loss. I mean, nobody should have to watch their family member die in the manner in which they did for Mr. Floyd, and no one should have their family member targeted simply because they're a police officer. And so I wanted to try to, to relay to them my heartfelt, sincere condolences for their loss. But then talk about the issue at hand, which is this bill, which there are some things in it that most people, if not all, can agree upon. A, a federal law against lynching. Uh, there are things in there that I've already voted in support of, but there are also things that are tucked in there. And this is how Democrats work the process. And I came from the, the state legislature where I served eight years and we just didn't do things this way where bills are created by one party in secret, pushed out, and you just have an up or down vote. They're not going to take your amendments because they have the majority. And in fact, on the floor, they're going to invoke the rule that you can't even file amendments to the bill. So it's very frustrating because we as Republicans were not involved in crafting this, despite the fact that you have a Republican Senate and a Republican administration, that if you really realistically wanted to get something done, honestly, on this issue, you would involve the minority in Republicans because it's got to get through Mitch McConnell in the Senate and it's got to get to the president.
0: Yeah, that's a great point.
1: Yeah, I mean right there you see that they're they're not this is completely political posturing. This is this this is just them attempting to you know appease their base and quote unquote do something in response to what occurred. But there are some very dangerous things in there. And if I would have had a little bit more time, this whole issue of militarization of our police force is a very dangerous issue. And what they're what the Democrats are attempting to do is say Police shouldn't have AR-15s. Police shouldn't have, quote-unquote, military-style weapons. Police shouldn't have armored vehicles. Well, if they're able to sneak that in, and that is in the bill, the demilitarization of our police force, not only is that dangerous for our law enforcement because our bad guys are going to have AK-47s and AR-15s and all of these things, even if they obtain them illegally because they're criminals and that's what they do. But so not only is it dangerous for our law enforcement officers, but what they're trying to do is stepping to to attacking our Second Amendment rights. Because if they can take away AR-15s and that type of equipment from our law enforcement and make it a federal mandate that law enforcement agencies can't carry that type of equipment, well, what do you think is gonna be next? Next is going to be, well, if law enforcement aren't allowed to have AR-15s and semi-automatic rifles, then you as a citizen shouldn't be able to either. So we are walking down a very dangerous, dangerous path by some of the things that are in this bill.
0: So as someone who's been in law enforcement, been in the military, uh, imagine or or talk about the scenario where a bad guy robs a bank like we saw in L.A. a few years ago where they had hundreds and hundreds of rounds of AR-15 ammunition and they're shooting at the police and and the cops only have nine millimeters or whatever they have. How do the Democrats try to describe that scenario that they leave the cops in a worse scenario than the bad guys that they're asked to apprehend?
1: Well, look no further than Steve Scalise and what happened a couple of years ago on a baseball field for the congressional Republican baseball team. That exact scenario played out because there's re- this ridiculous law in D.C. that law enforcement officers can only carry one sidearm with two 10 round magazines. So think about that for a second. Even the police in D.C., are limited to carrying two 10 round magazines. Well, luckily when the shooting occurred and the shooter had an AR-15 style weapon with 33 round magazines and he started shooting, you had two officers, thank God, that were there that started to engage the shooter. One of them completely ran out of ammo and was shot in the ankle, and the other one had two rounds left in his second magazine before they were able to put the shooter down. That's the scenario, the dangerous scenario that you're putting law enforcement in, having to respond to a criminal. And look no further than that incident that's been very detailed and all the facts are out there for all the world to see. Um, uh, Leader Scalise, Whip Scalise, talks about the incident all the time when gun issues come up. And how atrocious atrocious is it if we have law enforcement inhibited from using weapons that they can use to protect themselves in our community? That's their job, and they shouldn't be at a disadvantage there.
0: It's a it's a remarkable time because so many things that were actually done in Democratic administrations. I mean, it was Bill Clinton's administration that first helped um, police departments build up their arsenals to co- to face the confront you know the confront the growing threat of of weapons in bad guys' hands but they're, they're peeling back a lot of things at once. What are other things in this law uh, that's being debated right now that concern you that Republicans are unlikely to embrace?
1: The other thing that, that deeply concerns me is the qualified immunity issue. So they're, they're cha- completely changing the standard for qualified immunity. And just real quick for your listeners that don't know, qualified immunity is if I'm a law enforcement officer and I follow my training and protocol – And I am apprehending a suspect who is resisting arrest, but I am going through the things that I have been trained to do in responding to that escalation of force. If that person sues me or I get charged for excessive use of force, I can use a qualified immunity to defend myself because I used my training and my protocols that I was trained to do to apprehend the suspect. If you operate outside of your training and protocol because it's only qualified immunity, you don't get the immunity. So for people that are over excessive use of force and don't use the training and protocols that they use, they're going to be charged with a crime and they're going, their, their agencies are going to be sued. But if you're a law enforcement officer who is using your training, following the protocols, following the general orders of your agency, and then you get sued, if we take that away from our officers and apply a different standard, I don't know anybody out there. That would want to be a law enforcement officer, knowing that if you do everything that you were trained to do, you still can get personally sued and they can come after you criminally. And I can't imagine what that would feel like in these jurisdictions where you have left-leaning mayors and city commissioners and all sorts of things. So that is a, also a very dangerous issue. I, I can't imagine uh, what our recruitment is like in our law enforcement agencies today. Take this, take this bill out. With what's going on, I I was talking to my brother who was a supervisor a couple of days ago, and he said he's had two of his officers in his unit quit just because of the threats and the looting and the things that are happening just here in a very, you know, I wouldn't say rural, but a very small town community In in Florida, my district is is not a big city area, and we're seeing that type of activity here. If you start to peel back what type of weapons law enforcement can use and what type of immunity they will have, if they are doing what they have been trained to do, that's going to be significantly problematic for our police force. And I think in five years, you're not going to have very many people that are going to want to wear a badge.
0: Yeah, that's the the really scary part. And what you could really end up with, I want to ask you about this: Do we are we moving to a scenario where communities that support law enforcement are? going to have good police departments backed by the community and those who don't are going to have sort of a lawless um, uh, sense where uh, officers have one hand tied behind their back. Are we heading to that scenario, a blue-red divide between uh, public safety?
1: Unfortunately, I think we are. Now in a district like mine, it's it's a it's a very conservative district. I'm I'm probably the biggest geographic district in Florida. Parts of my district are very very rural, very very agricultural. You're not going to see that in my in my district. But in this district like in Minneapolis where the commission has said we're going to disband the police department, I can't imagine what the officers that have always been law-abiding, have served 20 years in that department and have dedicated their life to public safety are thinking when their leaders are saying, we're going to disband your entire uh, livelihood and we're not going to have a police force. And I would think if you're a small business owner in that community, the first thing you're doing is trying to figure out a place that you can move your business to. Because the moment you disband the police department, it's going to look like what we have seen all across the country, where you have these rioters and looters and and all of this atrocity is occurring across our countries, and our leaders in these big cities are just sitting back and letting it happen when three weeks ago they were arresting people for violating stay at home orders and gathering tenant more in synagogues
0: it's a it 's a crazy time, and I, I know most Americans are sitting back scratching their head trying to figure out the all these hypocritical double standards that we 've watched played out over Over the last few months, Um, when you look out at the issues, because you spoke very passionately to uh, to uh, George uh, Floyd's brother and to the sister uh, of the uh, slain police officer. When you look out, what are some things that, you know, from your own law enforcement background, from being a jag in the army, what are some things that we can do uh, to heal the divide, create greater trust between communities and police departments that often get torn apart by an episode like like the tragedy of George Floyd?
1: Well, in in areas like in my district in Florida, we for years have because these have not these are not new issues. We for years have done what's called community policing, where you have uh, minority officers or officers of color or you're integrating the officers into these minority communities. So they become a part of the community and there's agencies agencies all across the country that have been doing that. There's things in the bill that I actually think are a great idea. Creating a database so a bad cop who gets fired from one agency, for whatever case it may be, is in a national database so that if he moves from Florida to Illinois, that Illinois department's not going to hire him not knowing what things he's done in in a different agency. I think that's an excellent idea to ensure that bad cops aren't just getting moved around between agencies. There's a lot of good things that are in the bill that I think – can be a bipartisan bill. You know, you got Tim Scott in the Senate working with the administration on a bill. We haven't seen the details of what that's going to look like, but there are things that we can do, but there are very dangerous things that are in the Democrats' bill right now that they just created behind closed doors without talking to anybody else that would be very, very problematic for our law enforcement.
0: It's uh, it's going to be a long, hot summer as those issues work their way through. Do you think there's a chance for a compromise? Well, Or are the Democrats just holding out to appease their base and head into the election without real legislative action?
1: I think they'll do what they've done this entire time where they seize emotionally on a moment and they'll pass a bill. The question will then be if the Senate and the administration work out a bill that they believe is appropriate, if they'll amend the House bill and send it back to the House for consideration, or if they'll send it to conference and try to work out some of these issues. I think there are a lot of places in here that we can all agree upon would be good changes some of the things that i talked about so i i do think there is the possibility to do a bill that would address some of these issues uh it's just going to be again it's it, it's nancy pelosi in the house she's going to make everything political so she'll we'll have a markup next week in the judiciary committee on the bill that we had a hearing on yesterday and then the following week they'll vote it out of the house it if if things don't change in this bill. You'll see a lot of Republicans against it. It'll go to the Senate and then it'll just sit there like all the other messaging bills that she sent. And then Scott and the other Republicans in the Senate hopefully will come up with something that Schumer in the Senate can get 60 votes on and they'll probably send that back to the House. That's what I anticipate seeing happen. Um, but there are things that I think we can get done on this on both sides of the aisle.
0: Now that would be good news for America because we, we certainly want to fix the issues that are here and then move forward because that's a, the key to this whole this whole moment. The best way to honor George Floyd is to fix what, what's there and then to move forward. Um, I want to pivot just for a second because you've also been an important voice on the Russia collusion uh, fiasco and, and all that we've learned about the FBI and its conduct. You, you sit on the Judiciary Committee you, uh, that obviously has oversight over the FBI uh, what things concern you about what the comey fbi did and are you satisfied that the ray fbi has uh, taken enough ownership to fix the problems that have been identified
1: well i i've you've heard me in the committee on some of these issues i mean what has happened to a campaign and to a president in our nation's history cannot ever happen again. You you had high-level players, and all this is public now. We've seen a lot of this information now, and, and your listeners have probably seen a lot of this information now, where you had high-level players without evidence, manipulating evidence, manipulating a court, a secret court, the FISA court, to the point where their own judges are admonishing the FBI for their conduct to get warrants to spy on a political Um, opponents campaign. And that is just, it's un-American. It's illegal, in my opinion. It should be criminal. There are things on some reform bills that I would have liked to have seen on FISA, which weren't included, which is why I voted against the last bill. Like one of the things that absolutely needs to be included in FISA reform is requiring any FBI agent who's swearing and attesting to these applications to the FISA court to surveil, they they should be able to swear an oath and if if anything that has failed to be submitted or misrepresented, they should be held criminally liable for that. And that currently isn't the case. And that's why I think you've seen so much time and investigation before you've seen anybody indicted. Uh, we know that the Durham investigation is going on. Well, that's some of the challenges is all these people who reviewed these FISA applications and submitted this information, they're – There wasn't a legal requirement or a criminal requirement that if you misrepresented the FISA court, that something happened to you as an FBI agent. So I absolutely think that Of the reforms for FISA, that absolutely has to be part of it. So I I do feel confident just by reading the news reports, and I'm sure you probably have more information than I do, that the Durham investigation is going to elicit some some indictments and some charges that are going to come from all of this. The left's just going to label it as political, which will be very unfortunate because this should never happen in our country. But justice should be served because if justice is not served, the people in the FBI will know that you can do this and get away with it. And it won't stop any administration, whether Republican or Democrat, from doing something like this again.
0: That's the danger, right? It really is a bipartisan issue because if it happened to one, it can happen to the other side just as quickly. And uh, fixing this seems to be a bipartisan goal. But uh, one party has been very, as well as the media, been very disinterested in the um, in, in what we found. As you, um, as you look out over the election, too, because Florida is always an important state, How do you see this election shaping up? What are the issues that are going to uh, cause this election to pivot? And how are Republicans and Trump doing in Florida right now?
1: Well, in Florida, I think we're doing great. And and, and nationally, I mean, look at the special elections in tough districts that Republicans have won a few weeks ago before all this craziness started. We won a district that Hillary Clinton won by six, that the incumbent Democrat won by nine. We won that seat by 12 in California of all states. So I think nationally, we're in a very good shape. There are 30 Democrats that sit in Trump won districts. So if we're able to pick up a district that Hillary Clinton, Clinton won by six points by 12, I think we're in a very good political uh, circumstance. I don't believe any of these polls that you read. Uh, The polls I was seeing in Florida was Hillary Clinton was going to win by like 12 points over Donald Trump. And that just absolutely was not the case. Because I think there's a lot of well, we know there's a lot of Trump voters who didn't show up in the midterms, I think the number's is about 1.8 million Trump voters who didn't vote in the midterms. Well, they're going to be out voting for the president. And I, and I would continue, you're going to have more people voting for the president that are disgusted by some of the things that the left has done over the last year. And I hope that's the case. I think in, in Florida, we're going to be in really good shape. And uh, I think we keep... The seats that we have that are Republican, and I wouldn't be surprised if we pick up one or two. There's a seat down in Miami that we used to have as Republicans. It was a Carlos Corbello's seat. We have a really good candidate, uh, the mayor of uh, Miami-Dade County, who's running in that seat. We have a really good opportunity to pick up a seat here and there that's not a trump one district. So if we win just half of the districts that Trump won in 16 that currently are held by Democrats and pick up one or two in the nation, We've we've taken the 17 seats back that we need to get the majority
0: remarkable and you still feel good about that even after coronavirus and and the George Floyd stuff, the uh, the slate of candidates and the polling and and sentiments that you see, you feel pretty good about about the election, don't you?
1: I do, especially here in Florida. I'm out and about. I, I unfortunately have to go to a funeral of a law enforcement officer today he wasn't killed because of all the craziness that's going on he just had a massive heart attack but somebody that's been a friend of the family for years and so i'll, I'll get to talk to um folks in the community there but as i'm out and about talking to people in the community uh, they're fed up of the things that they're seeing they're fed up of the things that the left is doing and the hypocrisy of the left and i i just think you're going to have a very strong outpouring of voters who don't typically vote, like the Trump voters in 16, come out and support Republicans and support the president.
0: Well, that's going to be a dynamic we're all going to be watching over the next six, seven months. It's going to be uh, fascinating. Well, Congressman, I know you've got a busy schedule ahead of you. I want to thank you for taking so much time today to talk to our listeners at John Solomon Reports, and we wish you well and hope to have you back on the show soon. Thank
1: you. I would love to be back. Thanks so much for your time.
0: You too, sir. All right, folks, we'll be back after the commercial break to wrap things up.
1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: All right, folks, that was going to wrap up another edition. We had a great interview with the congressman. But as we were talking to the congressman, we have some breaking news now. Just released by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence is that document I told you about earlier in the podcast. It just came out. It's called Annex A. It is the uh, addendum to the intelligence community assessment that uh, the CIA, the NSA, the FBI created in December of 2016. And it irrefutably shows what I predicted it would show earlier in the newscast that the intelligence community as a whole assessed that Christopher Steele's uh, dossier was, quote, politically sensitive. Quote, mostly unverified, and came from a man who the intelligence community believed had leaked his information to the news media just before the election. So the official assessment in a classified setting, this has now been declassified by John Radcliffe, the DNI, this is breaking news. I'm going to read the exact quote from the annex as it was written. An FBI source, this is Christopher Steele, of course, using both identified and unidentified subsources, volunteered highly politically sensitive information from the summer to the fall of 2016 on Russian influence efforts aimed at the U.S. presidential election. We have only limited corroboration of the source reporting in this case and did not use it to reach the analytic conclusions of the CIA, FBI, NSA assessment. Let me interpret that just in uh, layman's terms. The information that Steele gave was political in nature, It occurred in the middle of an election, and uh, the FBI, the CIA, and the NSA did not believe it was worth relying on to make an assessment about Russia's intentions when they meddled in the 2016 election. I'll add one more quote from the annex. This is breaking news out off the presses. The source's reporting, is a direct quote, the source's reporting appears to have been acquired by multiple Western press organizations starting in October. In other words, Christopher Steele leaked his information to the news media just before the Donald Trump-Hillary Clinton election day, November 8th, 2016. So what are we to take from this first blush? Two months after the FBI went to the FISA court and said, hey, Christopher Steele's dossier, at least the allegations we're taking from it, are verified, he's solid, there's no derogatory information. Two months after that, the same FBI who made those representations to the FISA court went and joined the CIA and the NSA in a joint assessment saying Steele was only minimally verified. He had a leaking problem, that's called derogatory information, and it wasn't reliable enough for us to use it in an official United States government intelligence assessment on Russia interference in the U.S. election. The FBI was on both sides of the same issue on the Christopher Steele dossier. Further proof of the efforts that the Bureau made to conceal the political nature lack of corroboration, and Russian disinformation that Christopher Steele's evidence brought into the Trump collusion narrative. Uh, That's breaking news. Just happened. We said it earlier in the show. It could happen while we're on air. It did. Again, I want to thank you for joining us for another edition of John Solomon Reports at Just the News. Uh, you'll be able to see the breaking story on Annex A, the ICA intelligence declassified to document today. If you go to justthenews.com, it's on the front page. You can learn more there. It's a developing story. We'll have updates all through the day. Until then, we'll be back on Tuesday. Stay in touch with Just The News if you want to keep a bust of all of the breaking news across America. I'm John Solomon, and you've been listening to John Solomon Reports at justthenews.com.